Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with world-renowned jazz percussionist, composer, arranger, producer, author, and four-time Grammy winner, Munyungo Jackson. He opened up about his latest 2019 CD called Morning Sun. This West Coast artist can be found in virtually any musical setting, whether it's funk, pop, jazz, Latin, reggae, or traditional dance music. He's been in music for over three decades and has performed with the likes of Miles Davis, Stevie Wonder, Sting, Kenny Loggins, Herbie Hancock, Diane Reeves, and the list goes on and on. He's got great tales to tell, and he is deeply committed to keeping alive the tradition surrounding the instruments he plays. He's a great cat. Please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Hey, man, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I really appreciate it. Hey. No problem. This is going to be so cool. And I'm just waking up too, so excuse my my morning, but we'll be oh. fine. Yeah, cool, man. It's all good. So speaking of waking up, let's talk about Morning Sun. What a great sound. Just, it just, Thank you. Right now in Kansas City, we're getting ready to head into a big snowstorm, so this is a real welcome sound to have. Kind of this, this, <laughs> Sounds this, like fun. This, yeah, right. This is kind of an oceanic kind of feel to it. Talk to me about this album, and did it meet your artistic vision? Yes, it did. Uh, even the cover. I mean, I wanted to get the cover to look nice. We went back and forth with that, and people were saying, you know, when you do a record, you got to have your face on the cover. And I had my face on one cover, and I said, and no, I like this. I like the scenery, morning sun. You know, this is like the sun was rising in the morning off the water. We went to the beach, I mean, and used our phones to take a couple of these pictures. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at it and just the whole vibe of it, you know, was was cool. And musically, it's about music that I thought of, dreamed, dreamt of, felt. And, you know, when you have these different kind of, um, you know, what, what type of music is it? I mean, what would you call the music? Well, what would, when you listen to it, what do you call this music? This music to me is a fusion of a, a host of, of different genres. But I, I, what, I, what I feel like it is, is it's, it almost sounds like kind of a Caribbean. It has definitely a West Coast oceanic vibe to it. It just, it just sounds good. It sounds like something that invites okay. you to warmth. Yeah, the sounding good. That's that's the thing I like. You know, what I mean, I feel it, and uh, you know, because sometimes we think about what kind of music do we want to play, what genre, what are we going to put this in? You know, because I'm getting ready to go on a smooth jazz cruise next week, playing with smooth jazz artists like Boney James, uh, Rick Brown, Peter White, Marcus Miller, Jonathan Butler, who else? Candy Dolfer. Keiko Matsui, Brian Culberson. These are the artists that I'm playing with on a smooth jazz crew, and that's nothing like my music that you heard. So, and sounding good is, that's that's what I like to do. I like to just feel good, and everybody else can find out where they want to put the music, you know, as far as radio play and whatever, you know. I love open-minded people, so I'm just doing some open-minded music. Speaking of open-minded, since growing up, in LA since you were a child, you've just been immersed in the arts. The arts has kind of been your backbone. Talk to me a little bit about how that's grown in you as the years have gone on. Well, you know, my mother uh, came from a musical family. My mother's older sister is a lady named Nellie Letcher. She plays piano. She's more of a piano player than a singer. Then she got into singing and playing piano. And she had a deal on Capitol Records. We're talking about back in the 50s, 60s. 
And then she has an older brother that plays saxophone, and she had another brother that was a radio DJ. And, and I didn't know that uh, my grandfather, her father, was a bass player. I, I didn't know that until later in life. We all, you know, I got two brothers and three sisters, and we all, you know, when we were little, we all took music lessons. And like, you know, my older brother, he he took a, a, a clarinet, and uh, my next brother took trumpet, and then I went to piano, and my three sisters went to piano. One of my sisters went to flute, but I was the only one that stayed with it, and I was like a horrible piano player. Uh, you know, I wanted to go play ball. I was more into sports than that. Something about, oh, there was a guy named Harold Johnson who was in a, we, we, we went to, a, he was a, a semester ahead of me in junior high school. We called it junior high back then. And uh, he came up in church. So he was like a church, a gospel player, you know, but he was into jazz too. And when, in junior high school, yeah, we had a music class. And so I kind of moved over to the bass, the upright bass, but just messing with it, you know. And uh, but there was something about it was some congas and stuff happening in my head percussion. I was like, wow, this is that's interesting. And there was a tune on the radio called T Mambo. It's like a percussion school with Tito Puente, T Mambo with Mongo San Maria and Bo Willie Bobo. And they played this tune called the T Mambo. So I was just into that. I said, wow. So when we got to high school, my friend Harold Johnson got to high school. See, in, in junior high school, we used to pantomime at talent shows. Pantomime means you put on a record and you dance and you look like you're singing and it's kind of fun and some of the hit songs that people know, even though we're not playing. That's, that's junior high school. Got to high school. They had a talent show, and he had a band. He had uh, the Harold Johnson, had a, you know, piano. He plays piano. Had a flute player, bass, drums, and two percussionists, two conga players. I was like, I went from looking at him to the two conga players, and they were like burning. I said, Oh man, that's what I want to do. So I met him and hung out with him. And plus, I was hearing Latin jazz on the radio back then too. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, 60s, 70s, 60s. And uh, music started to change. But anything that had a conga drum in it, I was listening to and followed that. So I hung out with these guys and we, you know, go and play some different places. But, man, so when you're starting to play congas, your hands are hurting. You know, you're building up calcium on your hand. I was like, wait, that, that's a bit much. We would go to the parks and whatnot. So, um my father was, at that time, he was a MC at a club called um, Marty's on the Hill. Marty's on the Hill back then. And he knew that I, like, because we would get, my, okay, so my father was a program director at a, at a radio station called KTYM. I'm just going on and on. And we would get all these records in boxes sent to the house. And I would go through the records and listen to anything that had a conga drum. I'm into it. So he knew I was into that. So Mongo San Maria came and played at the club. He says, hey, you want to come up to the club and see this guy playing congas and whatnot? Yeah. And so when I walked in and I had my girlfriend then, you know, I think I was 17, 18. So I, I learned percussion later in life. I was in my late teens when I got into this stuff. Anyway, we came in and they were playing boom, 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 ding, boom, ding, boom. And this guy, the drummer, he moved up front. His name is Carmelo Garcia. Started playing timbali, playing a timbali solo. 
I came in, they're taking me to the seats. I'm bumping into people as I'm looking at him on stage, and he's playing his butt off. I said, that's what I want to do. Just playing with these conga players, man. I'm burning my hands up. It's killing me. But something to keep time with a cobbler and all that, and Congress and Tim, that's what I learned. Congress and Tim Bodies is like marriage. You know, the whole in uh, salsa or Latin jazz, it's like Congress, Tim Bodies, and Bongos were, uh, that's like a trio that played in a lot of Latin jazz and just Latin bands, period. Like, that's when I got into Latin music and learning those instruments. So, yeah. So th basically, I did that. So I, I, I had a little job throwing papers at the time. And so I saved my money. I said, I'm going to go buy me a set of timbales. My parents don't have to buy nothing. So that was the first thing I bought was a set of timbales at, a, at like an old music store. And they were used. And, and I think they wanted like $60 for them, $65. And I saved my money, take $10 here, $5 there. It took me about four or five months to pay for them and went and brought them home. And my mother's like, what is that? <laughs> but I would listen to records, man, and learn, just hear what I was hearing them do in, in practice. I mean, didn't have a cowbell. I didn't know what, what, you know what it was. I mean, I'm in L.A. I mean, it wasn't a lot of that guys here at that time. So I went and got a little metal cup and put over this little rod that was sticking up and played ding, ding, gong, ding, ding, gong, and playing the records. And we had a studio in the back of the house, like a big playroom, but that was turned into like a studio. Because my mother wrote plays and whatnot, and then musicals, and then I do that with them, and then I start playing drums with them and whatnot, and that whole thing. So I would be in the back practicing the records when I got home from school, and everybody would move to the front of the house because timbales are loud. So I'm trying to be musical with them. So everything I learned then was uh, from uh, listening, you know, listening to a lot of music. But uh, being out taking classes, I do know how to read and whatnot. So that kind of that, that kind of took me there. So did you always know that you were going to become a professional musician or were there other things on your radar? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's, there's, there's uh, like my father's side of the family, you know, but my, my mother and father were both from Louisiana. My mother's from Lake Charles. My father's from um, Melville. And they had big families back then. And so I had an uncle who was into driving trucks. So I was kind of into trucks, too. I'd be watching trucks, man, these 18-wheelers going by. i say, yeah, that's kind of cool. And cranes, believe it or not, cranes that they make that, that built buildings. And some of them were on, like, the back of a truck. Some of them were on, uh, what do you call these, tra tractors, like a crane. So I had an record set way before I thought I was going to play music. And I would make cranes and lift them and make sure how they work and the weight of everything. Oh, man, I was, I was into that stuff. And then I was into baseball. I wanted to play baseball. And uh, in high school, I was on the baseball team for a minute. And, um, you know, we would have these sports things, go to track meets and whatnot. And everybody would come to the track meets and football games. Track meets were even more exciting than the football games uh, back then. But baseball, who went to see baseball? That was, it was kind of boring. Even though I liked baseball, I liked pitching, you know, hitting bikes to hit, hard throw, run. I, I was into all of that, but it was boring. Music. It's something, for me, I didn't think about being a professional music. I just wanted to play music. I really dug playing music and then listening to music and then hanging out with guys who would play. I mean, these guys would take me to the parks and whatnot, and we'd be playing congas and whatnot, 
And then and then you got the people that play drums in parks and they from beating on all kinds of stuff. But we would go to the side and play Roomba. We had different parts that I learned that you play with these different things, and they were saying these songs. So, so I got into that, uh, and then still I didn't think about <laughs> uh, um, being a professional musician. But my first gig, this guy, one of the guys that I met, was playing congas on stage in high school with Harold Johnson's band. We would hang out. And he had a Volkswagen, and we would go to these different parties. So he sent us to his party, and this guy named Sherman McKinney, who was a bass player at that time too, and he played upright bass. So my man had a had a Volkswagen with a sunroof, and we're going to this party. And so he's driving. Uh, Sherman is in the uh, front seat with his bass in his lap, and the neck is sticking out the sunroof. I'm in the back seat. This is a Volkswagen with a conga. Uh, uh, sitting next to me in the back seat, I got the other one in my lap in the back seat, and my two bodies are uh, stacked into each other inside the trunk in the front of the car. So we went to this party, and back then they had records, you know, 45s, and we'll play into these records. And, and back then, also, we used to put a red light bulb in the ceiling. That's the party light. We're dancing. So we're playing to records, and they let us play conga, timbali, and bass to all these different hit songs that are playing. And so, and they're dancing and we're playing. And then the song is over, we stop, we see what's coming up next. And then if it's another kind of up-tempo tune, we play with it. If it's like a ballad or whatever, then we go dance with the girl, you know, a little slow, slow tune. And uh, so, the la and you know, when you're stacking up these records, these 45s on the, on the spindle, it's like, I don't know how you put like five, ten records on it, <laughs> and the deal yeah. comes over and puts, plays the next record. So the last record played, and we were playing with it, and the record is finished, but we're still playing, and people are dancing to what we're doing. And I didn't even notice the record was over. We're playing, and people dug it, and we're grooving. And it's like, oh, man, this is so cool. We played another 15 minutes, and then party and everything was cool. And then when we finished... Uh, they came and gave us five dollars, right? To you know, cause we didn't ask for any money. We just went up there to play. So that's when I realized. I said, "Wait a minute! Number one, we played music. We were grooving, and it felt good, and it was fun. That's number one. That me and the two guys, the Congo playing bass player, having fun playing. Number two, people dug it." Because they were dancing what we were doing. They didn't, when the record stopped, they were still dancing, grooving, having fun to us. And number three, we got paid for this? I mean, listen, we split up $5, but still, we didn't ask for any money. I said, you got paid for this? People dug it? I want to do this for the rest of my life. That was my first gig ever. <laughs> wow. Well, and obviously things have worked out. Speaking of gigs over the years, in a 30-plus year career, You've been with the likes of Miles Davis, Stevie Wonder, um, you know, Marcus Miller. The list goes on. Well, my question to you is this. What did you learn from the masters and the legends and the luminaries of all these crafts that really either directly that they lent to you or just by osmosis by being around them that helped you grow? What do you, what what'd you get from that experience? It was so much. You know, like one, one of the first gigs I did traveling uh, <laughs> was with uh, – um, yeah, this was my first first traveling gig. I was with Willie Hutch. Yeah, he he did a movie to he did a movie to a couple of movies. So he was on Motown, 
And uh, we went to Dallas, Texas to open up for Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. I forget the guy, one of the, the singers was, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, but he got out of that and did a solo career, big, tall guy. Um, anyway, so we opened up. So, and this is when we had naturals back then, right? And then I had to fly with my congas. I had two Valgy congas. You know, we rehearsed and whatnot and, and had my congas in these duffel bags put on the plane. Back then, you can have instruments and big things to uh, take to the gig. So we opened up, and, and you know, in the audience, it, wasn't, it didn't sell out a lot. There wasn't a lot of people. It was like maybe a, a third of the theater that we played in, you know. And anyway, we played and and played these tunes and we, we did all that and then we finished and we went back to the dressing rooms and they had the other band coming on and so I went back and I put my stuff in the cases and and you know getting ready to leave and so the guys in the band other guys guitar band bass but they're out there forking out their naturals again they're like put on some other clothes I said what are you guys doing are we, do we have to play again he said no 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 now we're going out to the lobby. And, you know, we're going to see who we can meet out there. You know, some girls running around there. Said, oh, really? I, I didn't know. I just thought we played music. I wasn't into, I didn't know about that. My, my interest was playing music. I've always dug girls, but I didn't know that the, the next gig was while they're on stage and we go and hit on some girls or whatever, they be talking to each other. I said, oh, man, that's some different stuff. Um, so, uh, and, you know, when I did that, I was like, oh, I'm learning. That's that's some of the stuff I'm learning about that, about living and playing music. Um, let me see. There was so much stuff going on. I mean, I learned a lot from, uh, first of all, Miles. Miles was so cool. And I heard all the stories I heard about Miles, and, and I'm thinking, oh, does Miles want a percussionist? Um, and before I was with Miles, I was with um, Joe Zabino. This is after Weather Report, the Zavano Syndicate. Um, I was with him, and uh, that was a, one of the things I learned with Joe Zavano. Joe Zavano, I mean, I was sitting right next to Joe Zavano, and he would have, he he told me one time, he says, turn turn your monitors down, turn your congas down in your monitors, you know, so you can play harder, right? He's telling me that. But I'm thinking, well, he's got knobs that go up to 45, he could turn his stuff up. I got to play hard. I said, this is a bit much. I mean, even though it was cool playing, but I, I said, wow. And uh, so I did, you know, a couple, I, was, I think I was at 88 with, with Zawin, and we traveled all over. We did a lot of gig, good gigs. It's a man's gig. You know, you play, it's fusion, we're hitting, blah, 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 and everything. You know, a lot of musicians come to the gig and watch everybody, that kind of thing. So, uh in 89, um, uh, I was asked to join Miles' band, and so I said, well, Joe, uh, um, I get a call from Miles' band. When, when is our next gig? I think we did a gig at the NAMM show here in L.A., and the next gig was not till June or July, May or June. And I said, well, they called me for Miles, and they want us to rehearse in February, and we're going out the whole month of March, then we off in April, then going back from out in May, we doing the whole summer in Europe. He said, oh, man. So, I mean, there's a big difference, you know. And playing with Zavanu, I mean, he's playing hard, and we're like, blah, 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 you know, fuse and stuff. When I got on the gig with Miles, 
I always say, well, if I played this hard with Zalina, what's it going to be like with Miles? And uh, we rehearsed, and I mean, I learned a lot from the rehearsal. I mean, itself is crazy. Well, you know, learning the tunes and learning all these different things and listening. That was the gig I learned to listen on, that the, on the Miles gig. I mean, I listened a lot on the Zavano thing, but Miles, he would break the stuff down, and it wasn't like playing loud or hard. It's just like listening and grooving. The word grooving, G-R-O-O-V-I-N, is, is what we used to do with Miles. And it would be rolling. And we played theaters and arenas. Not not like clubs and whatnot. So it it was with Miles. I learned how to listen. It was so much with that man. It was, it was crazy. I wasn't in that long because he likes to change up things too. You know, I mean, him listening to Prince and 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 uh, oh, what's the Black Rock Band? I can't think of the name of the band. But he listened to a lot of music coming from somewhere else. It's not all about swinging and everything. So he he was really open to where people were going musically. So the one thing that that I know that you're very keen on is you're keeping the tradition alive about the instruments you play. How important is, is it for you to keep that history, the etymology, the origins, and the continued tradition of what you're doing? I mean, I, I, and I'm always studying. There's always new things that's coming out. Uh, but musically, I mean, people call me for a lot of different type records. You know, I mean, it's good to know the tradition but you also have to be open to playing what, what if there's some music that needs some percussion or wants some percussion, you don't force a certain Roomba rhythm or Brazilian rhythm on something to make it to make that just because I'm thinking traditional, you know. I, I it's good to it's good to think traditional because I went to a lot of, of uh dance classes, you know, Brazilian dance classes, the Senegalese uh, dance class where they're playing djembe and junjun. It's good to learn the tradition side, and it keeps your hand moving, keeps you, you know, playing the drum. But to also deal with, uh, like, the first as I'm going to deal with the smooth jazz. Everything is not traditional in there. They got a couple of Latin things. It's gonna be fun to play. But sometimes I'm just playing a but ding ding ka ding 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 ka ding 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 ka ding ding. So I got you know. It's good to know the tradition, but it's also good to know where music is right now today, where you can add and go to these different places. It's good to go in these different different rooms, different doors. It's good to go into all these places. So learn traditional, that's great because you can, you can deal with that. You can always learn some things, keep your hands moving, but also learn commercially, learn pop, learn jazz, learn funk, you know, you can even learn some uh, country and western. You know, learn music. The word music, and it's it's just one word, and there's so many different uh, avenues in music. So, yeah, it's good to do that. It's good to learn the uh, the tradition too, where it came from. Like, why do you love music? What what is it about music that you love so much? Um, I was just hanging out with two guys, with three guys at, at their house the other day. David Leach, Andrew Costa, and Richard. Keith, no, no, not David, David, anyway, these three guys, and we're playing, and he was taking some pictures of us playing and put us out on Facebook, and we were smiling and whatnot. You know, it's like, back to the word grooving, when you when we're playing together, you know, it's like a conversation, you know, like we're having a conversation, you're listening to me, I'm listening to you, I respond to you for, like, the questions that you ask, 
And so uh, when you ask a question, then that gives me the answer or whatever. Music is the same way. If we're playing together and we're grooving with that, and you're saying this and you're playing that, I'm, I'm listening to you, and that's how we're going to play together. We can play all night if we're listening to each other for what we're doing, for where we go. And if a person is learning some traditional, learn some traditional rhythms of music, he's, oh, okay, that's another language, and we can respond to that and go there, you know. Um, so that's what makes it fun when, there's, when, there's, when we're responding together. You know, if there's a band, you know, one of the things I learned with Miles, sir, that the first day that we were rehearsing, somebody brought in a cassette tape of some groove they wanted to play. And this is a groove that the guy programmed from a, a Roland 808 and a 707. These are drum machines that have rhythms in them. And the 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 808 is a regular drum machine, and 707 you can MIDI it together, and it has a lot of percussion on it. And he just programmed this stuff, put some keyboard on it. Baby, let me do a little bit. We listen to this stuff. And we're like, Miles is saying, yeah, this is this is what I want to play. Y'all listen to this, and this this is, come up with something to play. To okay, so I'm new. Me, John Beasley got hired together with Miles and Kid Kagi. He did two keyboard players, and me. we got hired together. And we're in the room, and Kenny Garrett was playing sax, uh, Ricky Wellman playing drums, Foley playing uh, a, a bass. Uh, but he, it's like guitar bass. He, he was like a guitar player, even though he's a bass player, he turned it up. And uh can't even say his name, but he's a bass player with Santana. He was playing bass. And we're all there, and we're grooving. And my thing is, I'm play, I have all this percussion, but I'm going to listen to see what, how Ricky is playing. I'm not going to force my rhythms on anything. But I hear on this thing, this tape, this music he's playing, it's got a bunch of percussion all over the place, and it's not programmed traditionally. It's just, you know, like that. So I'm listening to that. So I'm playing with that, and I'm playing with Ricky, trying to be out of the way, and just so we can have a conversation. If I listen to you, now I can answer back, and then it can it can start being like that musically, and so we he Miles kept stopping the band. He says, "That sounds like shot." <laughs> you know what I mean? That don't sound good at all. That sounds like y'all listen to this music because he he figured that we sounded terrible trying to play with it. He stopped us about five six times. Finally, we're playing, and he's sitting on his riser. So so and I, and I'm on a riser also, but he's got some keyboard. His keyboard's on the rise, but he's sitting down on it. Kenny Garrett's facing him, but I couldn't see Miles. They weren't mic'd. I couldn't hear him either. And we're all playing. And they're working on something and going grooving. And then finally, we play for about 10, 15. That's a symbol in my house. Uh, 10, 15 minutes. And then Miles stops and he looks at Ricky. Now, Ricky's been with him, I don't know, 10 years then. He says, uh, Ricky. You like, did you hear what we played? You like what we played? Ricky says, huh? What'd you say? Miles stood up and says, Ricky, could you hear what we played? Did you like what we played? Him, talking about the melody him and Kenny Garrett are coming up with. And Ricky said, no, I, I couldn't hear what you played. Miles says, what? So he looks at me. So now I'm new in the band, right? <laughs> so he says, and he says, Jackson, because he couldn't say Mignongo at the time. Jackson, could you hear what we played? So, you know, when when you're having a conversation, you're talking to somebody, you know, 
things go through your mind while a person is talking to you, and a lot of things happen, and they and all these thoughts is is kind of responding. You're listening to what they're saying, and these different answers will come up in your head before you say anything. And I'm thinking about all this, but and I'm seeing that Ricky said no, he didn't hear him play, and Miles got mad at him and said what? So then, so then he looks at me, Jackson. Did you hear me play? And so I'm thinking the thoughts in my mind are like, well, if he's mad at Ricky, I don't want him to be mad at me. And I might say, yeah, I heard what you played, but then he might ask me to sing the part that he played, and I would be lying if I said, yeah, I heard you because I don't want him to be mad at me. So I said, I can't be lying either because I'm, you know, I have to be honest. So I said, no, I didn't hear what you played. He said, what? <laughs> you know, there's two there's two words that come from. Ew. I said, "Oh my god!" And then we took a break. I was like, "Whoa!" You're my first day with Miles, and he says that. I mean, this is when he, when he first came to rehearsal. I mean, we met and everything was cool. When he first came into the rehearsal, he came in. I mean, it's winter time in New York. Had a big natural. Had a had a, a big long leather jacket on and then a suede suit on under that and with this big tall redhead Amazonian beautiful lady and so and everybody went over to to greet him and I just stood to the back because I'm new I can't just rush up there you know and then he looked at me and said hey put his hand out and I went over there and met him so it was cool when I met him so when we get to this and he said uh-uh and it took a break I was like whoa so then Ricky came over and said, man, you know, don't take it rough. Don't take it hard. Like, you know, because everything is cool, but, you know, he's just how he is and blah, blah, blah. Because I heard all these stories about Miles, right, being hard. So as we're taking a break, he came over. He says, you know, he says he wants to give me the second chapter, the second verse on why he said, you know, for not listening. He says, back in the day. He says, we used to go to the jam sessions, and people would be playing, and then, you know, I'd come in and I'd play and just swinging, and he's playing his solo. He said that if if the drummer starts bashing and hitting all over the place during his solo, what he's saying, he looks at that as the drummer doesn't like his solo, so he's starting to bash. He's not. He's not responding and answering his soul. He listened to his solo, but he doesn't like it, so he starts bashing all over the place. So when the drummer is starting bashing, that means he ain't listened to his solo. That means that he doesn't like his solo. And the response to you playing with somebody that doesn't like your solo is, <clears throat> so that's what it is. He says, if you don't like, if, if, if you, I'm, I'm assuming you hear what I'm playing, and then by you, not listening anymore means you don't like what I'm playing. So, mm-mm, and out of the conversation, and that's what it is. So musically, it's the same way. That's one of the biggest things I learned. Learn how to listen to who you're talking to or who you're playing with. That means if he's walking around, because Miles will walk around the stage and whatnot because he has a wireless mic, he's cool, and he's listening to everybody. You know, one time we were playing, and he went up to the keyboard player, and he played a lick that the keyboard player played, on the last gig that he dug, you know, and he's like, ah, oh. and the people players looking at him like, huh? 
And and Miles will look at him again and play this lick that the keyboard player. And the keyboard player doesn't remember because, you know, sometimes you can come up with just something that you played. And so, like, in the conversation, you say something, boom, boom, you say yesterday, you don't remember everything you said, but certain things. He remembers it, and he'll do that kind of stuff. And the keyboard player, I don't know. He's like, yeah, you can't, you don't remember what you, I love that lick that you played. Like, one time, we were playing one tune, and Miles says, and I think it was Jilly, one of these tunes, playing like timbales with cowbells and woodblock and tambourine. And I'm playing that stuff, right? So the next gig, he comes, because he's walking around listening to everybody. He says, I like that stuff you're playing on Jelly. He said, I like that. That's nice. I said, oh, thank you. He's giving me a compliment, right? So we go out to play, <laughs> to play. So now we get to Jilly. I'm playing, but I would say, zap, 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 So I'm playing a little because he liked it. <laughs> and he came over and looked at me and had this look. So after the gig, he says, when we get to Jilly, he says, don't play on Jilly. It's another word. Don't play nothing on Jilly. Don't play anything on it. So he told me, he said, he gave me a compliment on Now he's telling me, don't play anything on it. So there was a tune that Kenny Garrett played, played a solo on. He played some stuff. And I think that there was something that, and Miles let him solo all the time on this tune, and he would stretch out. And this, so he, Miles told him something about don't play nothing on that tune. Don't play that stuff. So we get to the tune, and Kenny's just standing there. He just got his horn down. He's kind of looking around, and Miles is walking around, wanting to play. And I guess he said Miles told him don't play nothing. So he ain't playing nothing on the tune, right? So we get to Jilly, right? And he told me don't play anything on Jilly. So, but I dug what we were playing. I, I kind of dug it, and I didn't want to stand there like Kenny did on one of his other two just stand there. So we get to Jilly. So I went back to playing. The simple thing that I was playing before. Miles comes over, <laughs> and he's looking at me like, giving me that look. I was thinking the look was like, didn't I tell you don't play nothing on that? <laughs> but he looked at me and nodded his head and walked away, meaning that the stuff that he complimented me on, the simple stuff, he dug. And when he said don't, and then when when he complimented me, I'm playing all this extra stuff, and he said don't play nothing on that turn, right? He came back, went playing, went back to the simple thing, he nodded like, that's what I'm talking about. He doesn't have to say, he doesn't have to be verbatim or tell you what to do, what not to do. He just uh, would say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He, you know, if we're going to start a tune, he'll play just a part of the melody of the tune that we recognize. He don't have to play the whole thing. He don't have to say what we're playing. He'll just play a part of the melody. Oh, okay, we're going to play that tune. And that's that's the way he is. One more thing. I'll do this quick. Um, yeah. This is a tune that... So it's it's a groove. It's called tutu, tutu, and uh, you know I I heard the old tapes of it, and you know the old recordings of where this uh, the, the lady 
but the percussionist from uh, Denmark was on it. I said, yeah, it's a it's a tune where you know we break down, you play a solo, all of this stuff. So now, and it's, the tempo is doing the so a tempo that slow for a percussionist where that I came up playing salsa and you know playing the African music and all this and I'm in here and I got to play a solo over this and it's got a little hip hop thing so we were rehearsing at the you know at, at you know at the rehearsal studio going over that tune Miles had left earlier. He went back to his place, right? So I'm trying this. I said, hey, man, I'm telling Ricky. I said, man, can we kind of double time it so we can go that way and, you know, play some other? And Ricky was saying, no, I think he wants to leave it in here. So you just have to play some stuff in there. I said, okay. So I'm rehearsing. So I'm kind of multiplying and playing some stuff all over it inside the rhythm that he's keeping. And it was rough for me because I wasn't used to it. At that time, I used to throw button, button, you know that. I'm used to that kind This is and I had to find something to play. So I tried all kind of stuff. And so anyway, we so we finished after rehearsal. They said, "Hey, Mom said he wants to come up to his place, you know, because whoever's left at the rehearsal." I said, "Yeah, okay, cool." And he has a place on, I think, 59th Street that's looking over Central Park, like the beginning of Central Park, 59th Street. So we go up to his house and in his apartment, and we're going in through the door, and it's like an a entryway. You go through the door, and it's like a little, uh, you can do things, hang your coat there, whatever. And then there's another door that's going into the apartment. So we're walking in. In this little entryway, he has a canvas on the floor. So he's painting, right? And we're walking in. He said, don't step on my painting. So we're walking in. I'm the last one in. So I'm kind of like watching him, you know, painting. And he has like a little cup of red paint, a little cup of blue paint. And he would just kind of go to the side and just kind of toss a little bit of the blue paint onto the canvas and splat, you know. And then he'd go on the other side and take the red paint just kind of throw it on and splat and it'll go across the blue, blue. And he have a little brush and then kind of take a little thing and just wave through it. Now, you know, he's creating this painting. He says, hey, Teddy, come on inside, you know, check out my house, you know. To go inside. I said, okay. So he had it where the living room, so you go in, you, you make a right. There's, there's a door to the left, which is a bedroom, and then there's a door to the right, and it's like a little hallway, and then there's the kitchen, then the kitchen, and then there's the living room. But in the living room is where he put his, king-size bed. Hey, it's his place. He can do what he wants. So he has a big king-size bed in the living room, and in the bedroom, he has the couch and the TV back there. He kind of changed things around. So we're in there. He shows me. He's like the jacket that I wore. He said, I like that jacket. He said, try this one on. He asked me to try one of his jackets. Now, I'm a bigger guy. I can barely put my arm through it. I said, yeah, nice, but man, I okay. So anyway, so... He's, so we're moving around, and then he has a, a, a lady there that he brought to the rehearsal. She's there, and then his assistant, who's also a painter too. So they were all hanging, and we're talking, and all this stuff goes on. And then he somebody puts on the tape to the rehearsal. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know they were taping the rehearsal. So he put on the tape. I said, wow, you know. So we're in the living room, which is the bedroom, but it's the living room because it's a bigger room. 
So he tells one of his assistants to tell everybody to go to the living room, which is the bedroom because it has a couch in it, but it's, it's his living room. So we, so we go down, and so now, I can, so now there's another doorway to the backside where it's a bathroom that, lets it, that goes out into the living room. So this doors are open. So we're in the living room now, and he comes, yo, I want to watch TV. I mean, it didn't matter to me. I'm trying to listen to this rehearsal. So he comes and turns the TV on, so now, and I don't want to say no, turn the TV off. I'm new in the band, but I'm trying to listen down the hall. And then Tutu comes on. I said, oh, man, you know, let me hear what I did. How, how's it working? And so everybody's talking, and he, Miles came back into the living room where, where, where the TV is. He said, y'all want to change? We change channels. I was like, you know, whatever. You know, I'm still trying to listen down the hall. And all this talk is going on. And it's hanging. I mean, it's all cool. And then the song was over. I can barely hear it. Miles is still in and out, and he's going, he's doing his painting and doing everything, and all this things are moving around. Then he says, okay, it's time to go, he says. So we're leaving out of his apartment. I'm the last one out. He says, he says okay, I'll see you tomorrow. He says, and Tutu, keep it in six. That's all he said. Hmm. I said, oh, okay, wow. Do you have an idea what that means? Because he didn't have to explain anything. He just heard out of all the stuff that's going on. I mean, my thing was all the stuff that's going on, and then he's he hears that. He says, on, yeah. he heard what I was trying to do with it. And percussion-wise, he just says, you know, dude, dude, keep it at six. Hmm. I was like, whoa. That's one of the things I learned, because he learned how to listen. His thing was listening. So that's ding 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 I loved him. I loved the whole thing. And he was so cool. Wasn't wasn't into that hard craziness. We we had some great stories, but it was it was nuts. We were having fun. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it, man. Let me ask you this. Everyone has their perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but you're you're living your life. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Think? Well, Okay, let me let me let me look at it like this. Think. So when you say who do I think I am? Well anytime you think somebody or think yourself is something, it's something that you're creating, something that you think. When you think the way I look at it, when you think about something you don't really know for sure. You just think it's like that. You know, you you think so no, I don't think that I'm anybody who I am not. I don't try to be anybody. That's one of the biggest things I learned. You know, just be yourself. Learn yourself. Accept yourself. Always you want to do some better things, always. But the way that you accept yourself, you accept other people too. You want people to accept you. But one of the things I learned is, one thing, one of the biggest things I learned is, people don't have to accept me. When I learned that, I was like, oh my God. This is so cool. Now I don't. I remember going through, and a lot of people probably do this nowadays, where they try to be a certain place, try to be a certain person. Try the word "try" is one of the worst words to me. You can never 
put out because you're trying to do something, you touch it, you may not do it. But when you definitely do something, you definitely put your hand on a drum. Did I just try to play? You if I play. did this, did I try to play? No, you did it. Yes, exactly. Who do I think I am? I feel that I'm a percussionist. I love playing music. I'm a musician because I play music also. Being, being a percussionist, you playing... That's just one tone. Musically, music, there's different tones where a melody is involved in it. It's a melody. Music has a melody. Music has a melody. So we say a song, a music. Then you have a song which has lyrics, lyrics that go on top of a melody. So there's two different things, music and songs. There's a lot of people co-write. Um, um, they may have a melody, and they may have a rhythm with a, with a melody over it or just a rhythm, and it's why I come up with lyrics that has a melody on it. And then you put that together, it's like a complete song, 50% um, lyrics, 50% music. And even if you write it together with someone, and you, so then you can split and say, okay, we both wrote this song, this, the, the melody and the lyrics. We can, we're, we're writers and then we're publishers too. So you own the whole thing, um, you know, musically. So I don't know. Am I, so right now, I just say that I'm, I'm a musician. I'm a percussionist. I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a producer. And I have, which, Took me a while to recognize it. I have four Grammys on my wall in my house, in my studio. <laughs> nice. So I've I've accomplished I've accomplished some things. I'm happy. I'm still like a big kid because I'm learning new stuff every day, you know. And I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun, you know. So yeah, I, I try not to pressure anything from anybody. Try to. Did I just say I try to? I don't <laughs> pressure anybody for anything. But I do want everybody to learn, and I do want to have a, keep having conversations and keep making some more music. Beautiful. Hey, man, thank you for opening up today with Neon Jazz and taking some time out. I appreciate it. It's been absolutely illuminating. Oh, thank you, man. I can't wait to hear this. Stay in touch. And, you know, I would love to come to Kansas City, too. I mean, oh, we'd they, love to see they listen to a lot of uh, music, African type, or just not just blues. People think it's just blues over there. Sure. Good to meet you, man. Good to meet you, man. Take care. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Los Angeles, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Munyongo for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.